This is Paradise Lost, a podcast about TV star Louis Sachmo Armstrong Otieno. This is the last and final episode of this podcast. In the last episode, we examined Louis Otieno's family and health situation. Louis feels the media is connecting him to someone he says is not his son. Silas Miami has been trusted in public domain after he did one interview and the whole story became Louis Otieno's son. The two think they have been treated unfairly by the media. And so, I had to find Silas Miami after talking to Louis to cover this loop. When I contacted Silas Miami, well, his first thought was, to dismiss me. You cheated. I've made it my goal to never respond to any request from Kenyan media houses regarding my personal life. But then, I convinced him otherwise. And like he says, the ancestors did not object to it. But I trust Aniko. I'm choosing to trust your journalistic integrity <laughs> and the ancestors haven't objected to this. Considering the lengths you took to reach me for this, I am owed this request. Read this statement in full or don't read it at all. Save for maybe a few bleeps to quell the sensibilities of the delicate. My thoughts and prayers remain with them. Read or print every single word of this or read or print nothing at all. The alternative is no comment. I'm okay with that. But let's do our best to avoid the awkwardness of contravening this fair request. Having comparisons drawn when the original text is made public seems messy. Here we go then. The response by Silas Miami to the question, How do you know Louis Otieno? I considered responding to your ask with a gif of Kiki Palmer not knowing that man, or Mariah still not knowing her. Because that's the truth. You've asked for my thoughts on someone whom I don't know. I, I know he's genetically my father. But I do not know this man. In fact, for years, only a handful of people knew he was my biological father. I gave a telephonic interview five years ago with a writer for the Standard newspaper. The profile was intended to be about my expanding work in film and queer scholarship. At the end of a two-hour phone conversation, the topic of my father suddenly comes up. We're okay, I say. I beg them to drop it. They promise to let it go. A week later the newspaper publishes a story that, instead of focusing on my work, now heralds a sensational headline linking me to Louis. This media group then proceeds to sell off the story to their tabloid subsidiaries, and suddenly my life in the public domain is irrevocably linked to a man I've only met three times. Louis made it abundantly clear that he wanted nothing to do with me. I struggled with it. 
it hurt in unthinkable ways. Thankfully, trauma therapy and years of unlearning survival mode have gotten me to a place of acceptance and healing. So here's my final statement on this. Louis Otieno is many things to many people. I understand that. To me, Louis was a trash father who didn't care if I lived or died. I was a child. On the virtue of that alone, I deserve better. He did everything in his power to punish my mother, and me by proxy, for needing help. This was all happening at the height of his success, <laughs> polishing the tires of his car with kiwi, shaping the political opinions of a fractured nation because he sounded smart, and wrecking homes by physically and emotionally abusing women. He made it his mission to break, belittle, and embarrass my mother. But homegirl can tell her own version of events. She's violently chaotic in her own special ways too. Still, none of her actions warranted the pain and humiliation that both of us suffered. Pain that this man continuously and gleefully contributed to. I was not being hyperbolic when I said I'd only met Louis three times in my entire life. And while some might hear three and think, hey, that's plenty for any present father, it should be noted that the first time we met, I was 22. To be fair, we almost met three times too. Once near Poster when I was four, he almost got hit by a KBS running into oncoming traffic. There was this time he narrowly escaped a conversation by using the service elevator at I&M to leave when he got tipped about our arrival. But my favorite missed connection has got to be the time we waited for him at Kengele's for five hours. He never showed. It was his invitation. I was maybe nine. I'm not trying to embarrass him. These are simply the only memories I have of him. These are a direct consequence of his actions. I'm merely stating them. If said actions appear cruel and embarrassing, well... I trust you to do the rest of the math on that one. I grew accustomed to this man's absence. I grew resentful. Promised myself to suffer through everything, whatever I needed to do to prove that I was worthy of his love. Because to a child, their missing father is their fault. Especially when he has no problem showing up for an entire nation every evening. So I worked like mad. I became real good at what I do. But then at 22, while in my first year of film school, I get a call from my estranged mother asking me to visit my estranged father in hospital because he was dying. I jumped on a flight to Nairobi the next day. When I get to his bed, he spends the first two minutes denying that I am his son. Until he quickly deduced that he could potentially get money from me. It was in that moment that it finally dawned on me. I had wasted so much emotional labor on someone who wasn't willing to even acknowledge my humanity. I pivoted. I learned how to choose myself. I formed community, forged new forms of family, and did the work to understand that my humanity isn't up for negotiation. Not by neglectful fathers, homophobic mothers, or the ignorance of a country that will hold firm to the doctrine of a white god over their own ancestral heritage. 
Louis's poor decisions, his failures as a father, they changed nothing about me. They made certain things harder, and I still believe that struggle is deeply unnecessary, but I'm good. So I take this opportunity to ask everyone to stop asking me about him because you're asking me about a stranger. I know nothing. About the relationship between him and my mother? Nothing. <laughs> Less than nothing. This man doesn't know me, and I don't know him. It would be naive of me to expect that this statement will radically change the nasty ways in which people have linked us with nothing but my tweets and Instagram photos for context. Some of you have the journalistic integrity of withered legumes. You got your understanding of ethical reporting from reading the back of a blue band container. <laughs> now, when they do it, when they make up stories and use quotes I never gave for a sensational story, it won't be because I failed to make it clear that I find their actions wrong. There are too many poorly written untruths out there. It is one thing to be mediocre, but to be mediocre and morally bankrupt? Unforgivable. I've had more heartfelt conversation with my houseplants than with Louis. I get that he's loved by many. They spent their evenings with him. <laughs> no, that's bullshit. That kind of sanitization only works in aspirational rom-coms starring white people who can't really act. Or Disney animations, also starring white people who can't really act. Two years ago, I made contact with my people. I began to commune with my ancestors. The first of my people to show up and claim me as their own were the men on my father's side of the family. They answer to the clan name Otieno. And yes, they're embarrassed by his actions too. They have their own candle on our shrine. My fire comes from them. The communion with my underground gang changed everything. It reinforced what I had always suspected before, but know now for sure. That man's blood runs in my veins for reasons that are significantly greater than him. When I'm ready to say more, I will. This story started with a phone call. Through it all, we have learned with Louis how tough the media business in Kenya is, his career, the perception problems that have bedeviled him all through. I have learned a lot, and personally, I hope Louis catches a break, gets some assignment, and deal with his personal family problems. In the end, you will still remain alone. James, you will be lonely. You will still remain alone. The conversation has to end. The phone call has to end. The session has to end. The brief outing has to end. And you will be left alone. Paradise Lost is written and produced by me, James Smart. Our sound engineer is Mona Chuba. Edit producer, Sharon Ongayo. 
This podcast is recorded at Supersonic Africa. Our voice of artists is Yafesi Musoke. Theme song for this podcast is produced by Trevor Magak. Guitar by Benjamin Masinde. Piano by Samuel Hendrick. Copyright Alfulela. Special thanks to Louis Otiano. <laughs>